All right. So uh, Sarah was talking about um, restoration in Isaiah 11.1. 1, um, Isaiah 11.1 1 is a prophecy about Jesus, and it talks about, it says, tell, ugh, let me get back there. There we go. And it says, a shoot shall come forth from the stump of Jesse, and a branch of his roots shall bear fruit. Um, the, the stump of Jesse is, in Old Testament speakies, is talking about the, um, the cutting off of Israel, that, they're, that God basically didn't turn his back on them, but he said, you know what, if you're going to do what you're going to do, this is what is going to happen to Israel. It was 14 generations and then another 14 generations before Israel decided that they were going to try to live for God. Um, so the stump of Jesse refers to them being persecuted, their exile, their um, being taken captive, and their, their fruit being cut off. But God says in Isaiah, and Isaiah prophesies this, he goes, a shoot shall come forth from the stump of Jesse. And that is, that is prophecy that he is going to be born of the lineage of David also, but he says he will bear fruit. And Jesus refers to that, and he says, what it, he says if, a tree should, if a tree doesn't bear fruit, what do you do? You cut it down. Jesus is, and this is a prophecy of Jesus, Jesus is, prophesy, is prophesying about himself. He says, you know what, I am the vine and you are the branches. He, he says, I am, and the Father is the vine dresser. He's, he's referring, Jesus always referred to Old Testament prophecy about himself because he's saying, I'm here to fulfill that prophecy. Um, judgment was poured out on Israel. And that's why it was called the stump of, of Jesse, because God poured out a lot of judgment on Israel for what they had done. You know, we look at, if any of you, any of you guys ever study um, Old Testament history, I'm a nerd like that, so I did. Thanks, Mercy. Love you. Um, so if you look at the children of Israel, they're just a really smart group of people. They come out of, the, out of Egypt, and in Psalms it says, none of them were sick, not one, and they were all well, they were all healthy. We're talking a million plus people. They come out of the, their place of captive for 400 years. He brings them into, he's bringing them into a place. Moses goes up on the mountain, and they can't even take it without a couple days maybe, and they're setting up false gods. So you, do you understand how God's, Anger might be a little bit kindling towards them. They, they, you know, he's like, hey, I just brought you out of Egypt, and we're going to head to the promised land, which is going to be flowing with milk and honey, and I'm preparing a place for you. And they're like, but this looks better. And the children of Israel constantly, God said, when you go into the, the, when you go into the promised land, get rid of every other group of people out, out of there. You, this is your land. Move them out because this is not a place for them anymore. This is your place. It says don't intermarry. They intermarry. Don't take their gods. They take their gods. Don't do this. They do this. Don't do this. They do this. God was like, hey, these are simple things to protect you, and they kept doing this. So we wonder why God's judgment got poured out on them. And then they have the kingdom. They set up, we, need, we can't have God as king anymore. We need a man to be king. So they choose Saul, which was a great choice. Saul fails, David comes in. David fails, but God still calls him a man after his own heart. 
Solomon comes in. Solomon can't keep his pants on, um, he's, but he's considered the wisest man ever. How does that balance out? Because it's the grace of God in his life. But after that, you, you start to see the, the decline of Israel. Mo most countries didn't make it past three rulers and they, they decline. They break into two kingdoms. First kingdom gets ransacked by invaders, taken into captivity. The second kingdom's still there. Second kingdom gets taken into to, um, captivity. And Israel's basically a barren wasteland where some Jews are, some not. Some are brought to Babylon, some are brought other places. But that was God's judgment on them, not his wrath. That was his judgment on them saying, hey, if you're not going to follow me, I'm not going to give you this place. You're going you're gonna to be slaves to the people that I told you to, to get rid of. So we look at, at this idea that this tree was cut off and there's a stump, but there's a shoot that comes forth and brings fruit. And we look at the Old Testament prophecies about Jesus, and it's, um, there's just so many of them that I'm not going to spend all four hours talking about every one of them. Um, but one of those is Isaiah 61. Jesus confirms it in Isaiah, and he says, I have been commissioned to preach the good news to the poor. Um, a couple of them are, are this, and I'll read these to you. Um, and uh, most of you know this one. It's Isaiah 9, 6 says, For unto us a child is born, the son is given, and the government shall be on his shoulder, and his name shall be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, and the Prince of Peace. And the other one is, is this, is in Hosea 11, 1, he says, tell him to call back later, Jan. <laughs> Hosea 11, 1 says, when Israel was a child, I loved him, and out of Egypt I called my son. And that refers to Jesus being, um, when Jesus was born, his parents fleeing Bethlehem, going to Egypt. Jesus is, is around two years old when they come back from Egypt, and he calls his son out of Egypt. These, these political things that were happening in the world were, were lining up the prophecies for God's fulfillment of what Jesus was. We always think, oh, it just happened, and God just forced it to happen that way. No. But God knows what's going to happen. He sees the future, and he knew there was going to be geopolitical things going on in that time where, hey, they're going to do mass genocide of babies at this time. And he says to, his, says to Joseph and Mary, get out now because I need you. Otherwise, they're going to try to kill him. So they go to Egypt, and they wait there, and they spend time there. But then he says, I'm going to call my son out of Egypt. And just because he wasn't an adult, he still, he called his son out of Egypt, time to come back to where I've called you to be. In Numbers 24, think about this, in Numbers, we're talking about Numbers. We're talking four books into the Bible where they start to number the people. It says this, it says, I see him, but not now. I behold him, but not but not near. A star shall come out of Jacob, and a scepter shall rise out of Israel. It shall crush the forehead of Moab and break down all the sons of Sheth. That's a prophecy four books into the Bible about Jesus coming, saying he's going to be there. They needed him that soon. 
That's the thing is, we needed Jesus from the moment Adam and Eve were stupid. I mean, that's what they were. They listened to lies. They listened to something that wasn't true. And from that moment on, God, and God had a plan from the beginning. He goes, I know they're going to be stupid, but I, I love them enough to give them free will. I know they're going to choose something that besides me. They're going to choose something besides, they're going to choose their own selfish thing so they can have knowledge. They're, they're going to choose knowledge over a relationship. But he says, I'm going to prepare something. This was, this was not something that God said, oh, crap, now i got to refigure out my plan to figure out what's going on and how to fix this. God knew what was going to happen from the moment. There was no Jesus goes, oh, hey, Jesus, by the way, I need you to go and die and blah, blah, blah. No, there, there was a plan from the moment of creation that they knew this was how it was going to have to be because he knew how sinful man was. Genesis 49, we're talking about Genesis, says the scepter shall not depart from Judah nor the ruler's staff from between his feet until tribute comes and and to him shall be the obedience of the people. There was a plan from the moment of creation and before creation that he knew we were going to need a savior. We were going to need someone to take away our sins because we are sinful people. If you look throughout, throughout the Bible, God sent multiple things. He sent prophets to call the people back to repentance. He sent judges to keep them in line. He sent people to deliver them from captivity. And there's moments, God was dropping hints for generation after generation. It was 42 generations from Moses till Jesus. For 42 generations, he was dropping hints that a Savior is going to come and help take away the sin of the world. It's going to redeem you. It's going to set you free. And they still didn't get it. 42 generations. And they did not understand. They did not see. They could not comprehend what was happening. He set prophets to prophesy about what was coming and the people did not understand. It's like we were, de- it's like as people, we are deaf and dumb to what was happening and what was go- God was doing. You ever feel that way? You're like, God, what are you doing? You're like, you, you're struggling to, to arrange yourself and get your heart and get your mind into what God is doing. And sometimes we feel deaf and dumb. Malachi 3.1, it says, Behold, I send my messenger, and he will prepare the way before me. And the Lord whom you seek will suddenly come to his temple, and the messenger of, uh, excuse me, and the messenger of the covenant in whom you delight. Behold, he is coming, says the Lord of hosts. So this is actually, if I remember correctly, this is actually a prophecy of John the Baptist and Jesus. He says, what does he say? He says, I send a messenger. He will prepare the way before me. Think about it. Your co- Jesus' cousin was the messenger before him. Prepare the way of the Lord. Make, make the path straight. Repent for the kingdom of God is at hand. Repent and be baptized. 
John was a voice crying out in the wilderness, just like the other prophets were. John was crying out saying, he is coming. I see him, but he is, I, I, I know he's here. I don't see him, but, and he is not far off. And he's crying out saying, prepare for one who is coming. Jesus was not only not a plan B, he was plan A from the beginning. He was, this is how it's going to be. We're not going to be like, oh, God doesn't get, oh, somebody tricked me, somebody didn't do it how it is, now I have to rework a plan. God is not that way. God sees all and he knows all. He is all wisdom and he is all knowledge. And he knew that his people would turn from him. They still reject Jesus. And that's the sad thing, is, is they reject Jesus as the Messiah. They don't even think of him as a prophet. They just think of him as some lunatic that thought he was the Messiah. And we look at Jesus and we look through history. In Isaiah 7, 14, it says this, the Lord, therefore the Lord himself will give you a sign. I mean, it, like, it's not just a sign, it's a pre-warning there's going to be a sign. Like, how deaf and dumb do we have to be? God says in Isaiah, there's going to be a sign. Look for it. And he said this, he said, behold, a virgin shall conceive and bear a son, and they shall call him Emmanuel. Emmanuel means God with us. But God said, hey, look at what I'm doing. There's going to be a sign. If someone said to you, hey, you're going to go down this road and there's going to be a sign. What are you going to look for? A sign, like a stop sign, a turn sign. Like, you know, it's not like the country directions. Well, there's a big tree here. And, you know, God's like, there's a sign. There's going to be something that's so obvious that you'll be able to see it. But Israel became deaf, dumb, and blind to what God was doing. There was 400 years before Christ that he did not speak to them. How many of you guys have ever not spoke to somebody for a day and it, it, it's like you're having an argument and it's been hard? Yes. Like you're having an argument and it's hard. Can you imagine the, 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 the sovereign God not speaking to his people for 400 years? God remained silent. And he, then he spoke with the birth of his son. I think that's a pretty big sign. Like, that would be like a, a billboard sign that had big red letters on it said, hey, here's your sign. God is coming with, like, yellow flashing lights around it to catch your attention. But God gave them signs. Throughout the generations, he, he, his prophets prophesied of what was happening. Moses prophesied of what was going to happen, but they just didn't perceive it. You guys ever had somebody explain something to you and you're just like, I don't get it? Like just something that, <laughs> like, or you try to explain to someone and they're just looking at you like, or they like, you know, you're, you, know you look at the book, maybe it looks better upside down, like you're reading something and there's, you're just not getting it. That was Israel. God had given them multiple things, multiple moments, multiple prophets, multiple judges, multiple leaders to prophesy that Jesus was coming and there was going to be something. I mean, you can't read these and go, oh, I wonder if there's going to be a sign that he's coming. Or there's... 
it's as clear as day that something was happening. But because Israel was deaf, dumb, and blind to it, they still didn't want to hear the voice of God. But for 400 years, he did not speak to his people, did not speak to their kings, did not speak to their rulers. I'm pretty sure there was multiple people that God was speaking to, but as a nation, he did not speak to because there was multiple times you look in the New Testament where Jesus was born and there was people that knew God had said, you're going to be alive to see this child. You're going to be around to see the coming king, the, the, the babe. And God spoke to, his, to people, but not to his nation. And I, I don't, it's hard for us to understand that moment where God would not speak. Because I think as, as Christians, we have our, our daily time where we spend with God, our, our prayer life, whether it's our, our alone time with him when we're driving in the car or we have our, our you know, we're sitting at the table in the morning where, where God is speaking to us and directing us. But can you imagine if God said to this church, I'm, uh, this body right here said, I'm not going to speak to you for 400 years. That's four, basically 14 generations of people that didn't hear from God, that God did not speak to. There was, there was bits and pieces that God spoke to uh, uh, different people, but that God remained silent is a very scary thing. He remained silent to his people because his people didn't have hearts to see and hear and feel what God was doing. Jeremiah 23, 5 says this, Behold, the days are coming, declares the Lord, then I will raise up a righteous branch from David. Who was David's father? Oh, come on, guys. Jesse. There we go. Let's, let's kind of put the two together there. And I just lost my thought. There we go. A righteous branch, and he shall reign as king and deal wisely, and he shall execute justice and righteousness in the land. There's multiple prophecies that I'm going to raise up something that comes from the lineage of, of David. I'm going to raise up from the stump of Jesse, there will be a shoot. From the, the branch, uh, from David's family, there will be a branch. There was prophecies throughout the scripture that said, hey, I love you enough that I'm going to send you something. I think our hearts need to be, as we go into Christmas, I know this is probably not your traditional Christmas message where it's all feel good and stuff, but I'm saying is do not be the hard-hearted people for 400 years that did not hear the voice of God. God is doing something in scripture, he was doing something. He's giving them signs. I'm giving you a sign. He's like, there is a sign. Like, he's like, not just like I'm doing things. He's like telling you, there's going to be a sign. Like, hey, pay attention. God throughout scripture, throughout the Old Testament is saying, pay attention to what I'm doing. I'm sending you something better than what you have. I'm sending you something that you need, even though you don't know you need it because you're too stupid to figure it out. But if we look at, at Scripture, and they're too hard-hearted to figure it out.
it's, it, God actually called them stiff-necked. You know what that meant? They weren't willing to turn one way or the other. They were only going to do what they wanted to do when they wanted to do it. But God shows up in the New Testament before Jesus is born to multiple people. He, he goes as messengers to Joseph, Mary, John the Baptist's parents, and he shows up and he says, I'm, going to, I'm doing something. Be prepared to, to see what's happening. Matthew 1.18 says this. It says, this is how the birth of Jesus, the Messiah, came about. His mother Mary was pledged to Joseph, but before they came together, she was found to be pregnant through the Holy Spirit. Because Joseph was her husband, Joseph, her husband, was faithful to the law and yet did not want to expose her to public disgrace. He had a mind to divorce her. But after he had considered this, the angel of the Lord appeared to him. So he's thinking, I'm going to, okay, can you imagine that conversation? You know, like, hey, we're going to get married soon. And, you know, she's like 15, 16 years old and we're going to get married soon. She's like, hey, I got something I need to talk to you real quick about. You know, like, I know we're engaged. I know we haven't slept together, but guess what? I'm pregnant. That com can you imagine that conversation? Yeah, God got me pregnant. He's like, yeah, sure. Yeah. But think about it. You know, that conversation, how awkward that conversation had to be, that the fact that they wrote down that Joseph was thinking about divorcing her silently. He was ready to put her off silently because he didn't want the shame that came with it. But it says, after he considered this, the angel of the Lord came to him in a dream and said, Joseph, son of David. There we go. There's a sign. Son of David, do not be afraid. Take Mary as your wife, because what is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. She will give birth to a son, and you are to give him the name Jesus, because he will save his people from their sins. Can you, first of all, not only is he going through some, uh, some mindsets of what the heck is this girl doing, who did she sleep with, why, who did she get pregnant by, and why is she not telling me this, and why is she giving me this... The Holy Spirit did it, you know, and like, you know, God came to me and told me that I was pregnant with his child. I'm like, yeah. But that he says he was an honorable man and he wanted to put her away quietly because he didn't want to bring shame to her either. The, the amount of, the character of this man was huge. We, 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 don't, we don't really focus enough on it that he was, had enough character that he was going to do it quietly. He could have, her life could have been done. She could have been stoned if he really wanted to. But he had enough integrity to put her away quietly. But then he had enough integrity when he, an angel comes to him in a dream and says, oh, by the way, this is God's child. You wake up from that dream and like, what did I eat last night? Like, you know, like trying to rationalize it. We do that as people. We try to rationalize heavenly things. We try to make heavenly things seem normal. We, oh, well, I don't know, was that God that spoke to me? Think about that. Have you ever had that, you have a dream or you have something that goes on and you're like, I know what I should do, but was that God speaking to me? And we, we second guess ourselves. The Joseph got up and said, oh, okay. There's something in, in who he was as a person that said, I'm willing to go through this because they got married 
and then she gives birth quickly. So there's going to be some talk eventually, like, oh, well, you know, she was showing pretty early after your marriage kind of mentality, that thing. And Joseph had the integrity to say, you know what, I'm willing to do what God has asked me to do. That's why I said Israel didn't hear from God for 400 years. It doesn't mean God didn't speak to people. And sometimes as nations, we refuse to listen to God when we should be listening to God. And God says, well, if the nation won't listen to me, I'll speak to my prophets. I'll speak to people who are not hard-hearted, who are not proud, who are not stiff-necked, and I will speak to them. And that's what he did for 400 years. So in verse 22, it says this. It says, all this took place to fulfill what the Lord had said through his prophets. The virgin shall conceive and give birth to a son, and they shall call him Emmanuel, which means God with, with us. When Joseph woke up, this is where his integrity shows up, he did what the angel of the Lord commanded him and took Mary as his wife. They did not consummate their marriage until after she gave birth to her son, and he gave him the name Jesus. So they're getting close to getting married here. This isn't like, oh, you know, we're engaged and in, in you know, a year we're going to get married. No, they're getting close to this time of them getting married. But he says he woke up and he did what the angel of the Lord commanded him to do. He didn't go, well, you know, give me another sign, God. I need a new. He goes, he understood what God was doing. He understood his assignment. And he said, the angel of the Lord commanded me to do this. God told me, he sent me a messenger to do this. I'm going to do it. He did. The problem is, is we want God to come down in human form and come in as Jesus and say, look at my hands, look at my side. We act like Thomas and say, oh, I need you to come down in human form to show me that it's God and God is speaking to me. That is a stiff-necked, hard-hearted people. Thomas needed to see that because his, he needed to have a breakthrough in his faith. But we don't have to be Thomas and waiting for Jesus to show up in the upper room to say, feel my side, look at my hands and my feet. For 400 years, those people were Thomas. I don't believe it. I don't believe it. I don't believe it. You know how many times the children of Israel were in exile or captivity from other people? It's because they didn't turn their necks towards God. They didn't turn their hearts towards God and say, God, what are you saying to us? And that's a sad thing. That it took 42 generations for Christ to come. And it took 400 years for the people to actually see Christ. And the people that knew he was coming waited for him. There was, if you look throughout the, the Gospels, it talks about men and women who waited for Jesus to show up. Like, keep me alive until I see the Messiah. Keep me going until I see the Savior of the world. That's the thing. is, It's those people's faith that we need to look at. We need to, to get away from our hard-heartedness and say, okay, I'm not going to, to look for this thing. I'll, you know, the signs, they, they ignored the signs. They went off, and they went off the rails. They went over the edge because they were brought into captivity. They were their, their temple was laid to waste. Their, their cities were raised to the ground because they were so hard-hearted and they didn't see the signs and they ignored the signs. 
talks about in, the, in Scripture that they persecuted the prophets of God, the, the messengers of God that gave them the words that they needed to hear that God was speaking to them. They persecuted them and they killed them because they didn't want to hear what God had to say. You wonder why God remained silent for 400 years. It's like, you kill my prophets, you kill my messengers, you kill my judges, you kill the people I sent. Just the way John the Baptist is, they killed him. Because they didn't want to hear what God had to say. John the Baptist was pretty extreme. He wasn't one of those guys who say, hey, you know, hey, just wanted to let you know Jesus is coming. He's like, hey, repent for the kingdom of God is at hand. Repent and turn. Like he said, he was a voice in the wilderness crying out to that generation. Think about it. He's a prophet. He's prophesying the, the forecoming of Jesus. He's, he's, for 30 years, he's prophesying Jesus. John the Baptist is filled with the Holy Spirit in his mother's womb. It talks about that he jumped and the Spirit filled him while he was in his mother's womb when Mary walked into the room. Talk about a, anointing at a young age. <laughs> he came out filled with the Holy Spirit to prophesy that Jesus was coming. For 30, can you imagine? 30 years you keep repeating the same message, the same message, the same message, saying he's coming, he is coming, he is coming. And can you imagine John the Baptist knowing that it's his cousin? It's like, when is it going to be ready? When are you supposed to? When are you, he's like, you're 20 now. When are we going to do this? You're, you're 25 now. When are we going to do this? He's like, why, why do we? But he keeps preaching the good news. He's like, I'm going to keep talking until he shows up. But there was a plan from the beginning for people to hear from God. I don't, I mean, a lot of times we talk, well, we have Jesus, we have a personal relationship, it's easier to hear from God now. I, I don't think it was. I don't think we have it easier. I think they had the, just the same opportunity. I don't think the Holy Spirit was created in the upper room. It, was, it wasn't working that way. The Holy Spirit was still present with those people to be able to hear from God, to know the direction that he was leading, and to listen to what he had and not be a hard-hearted people. So we all read Luke 2. Well, you should. If you don't, please read it. I, I, what I'm saying is this. is During your Christmas time, your celebrations with family, don't forget we get so wrapped up in what we're doing. Don't, don't not make a time to remember what we're doing. Spend that, that, that few minutes, that five minutes, I know it's, it's hard to spend five minutes when you're having a Christmas party and when you're getting together, but spend that, that, that few couple minutes to, to remind everybody when we get together why we are doing this. And read Luke 2. Read it to your kids. Read it to your family, whether they want to hear it or not. If it is your Christmas party, read it. 
because this is, this is what God was doing. I'm not going to read it all to you, but I'm going to read you verse 8, and this is after, it says, After Mary brought forth her first son, she laid him in a manger. And in the same country, this is verse 8, abiding in the field, keeping watch over their flock by night. Sorry, I'm reading from the King James Version because as Dave Beebe says, that's what Jesus spoke in. Um, <laughs> and lo, the angel of the Lord came upon him, and the glory of the Lord shone around about them, and they were afraid. And the angel said to them, Fear not, behold, I bring you good tidings of great joy, which shall be to all people. We have to look at when the angel says to all people, he's not referring to the nation of Israel because it's, it goes back to what Jesus said to his disciples. He said, go out and make disciples of all nations and teach them to, I'll let you finish the sentence, but he's not, he wasn't saying this is just for the Jewish people. He said, this is for all people. This is for the Samaritan people. This is for Gentile people. And that is what this angel is talking about. He said, I bring you great tidings of great joy which will be to all people. For unto you in the city of David is born to you a Savior, which is Christ the Lord. And this shall be a sign to you. There you go. Another sign. <laughs> you will find the babe wrapped in swaddling clothes, lying in a manger. Very, very, exactly. It's a specific sign. We have to understand this is not this is not a, a normal thing. You have a, a child laying in a feed, feed trough that's wrapped in what you would put baby goats and lambs in when they are born to keep them warm and to get them dried off. This is not a baby blanket that you, you know, swaddle your child in. This is, we're talking about strips of cloth that are wrapped around this baby and it, they, they would let, put sheep in. It's a foreshadowing of who Jesus is. He's the Lamb of God that comes to take away the sins of the world. And he's wrapped and he's laid in a manger where sheep ate. And he's wrapped in something that sheep would be wrapped in. And he says to them, and then the angel says, and then um, you'll be lying in a manger. And then suddenly, with the angel was a multitude of the heavenly host, praising God and saying, glory in the highest, and on earth, peace, goodwill towards men. There's always been this, this theology in our world and in churches that God is an angry God and he is ready to punish us. But the angels said, what did they say? They said, glory to God in the highest, on earth, peace, goodwill towards men. He's not saying because of, G not just because of what Jesus is, but He's not saying to you. He's saying to the world. He's saying there is going to be peace on earth. God's anger towards you is subsiding. And he's saying, I'm giving you a peace offering so we can have a relationship. He's not like, oh, hey, good luck. And if you fix it yourself, you fix it yourself. He's like, you can't fix it because you're not able to fix it. He says, so because there's a war between us, you have rebelled against me. I'm going to send you something as a peace offering so we can have a relationship again. He says, I'm going to give you my son. And they didn't understand what it was. 
the Jewish people still think their, their king is going, Jesus is going to show up and he's going to devour all the enemies around them and he's going to set up a temple and his throne is going to be in the kingdom of Israel and the temple is going to be set back up in a physical form. But God is saying, I'm sending you a peace offering for eternity. This king is not just a physical king who's going to come in and defeat the enemies. That's what they were looking for and they're still looking for. They're waiting for the king to ride in on a, on a horse and defeat their enemies. They wanted him to defeat the Romans. You look throughout the New Testament when Jesus is talking, when are you going to set up your kingdom? When are you going to start to rule and reign? He's like, it's happening now. You just don't understand it. But God is saying, I have goodwill towards you. I think sometimes we don't investigate what we're saying, investigate what's actually meaning there. Goodwill, not talking about the place you dump all your crap at when you get done with wearing it. I'm talking about goodwill. I have goodwill towards you. I have good intentions towards you. He says there's peace. Why do you, is Jesus called the Prince of Peace? Because his father, who says there's peace, is giving you Jesus. Verse 15, it says, And it came to pass, and the angels were gone into heaven. The shepherds said to one another, Wow! <laughs> Let's go to Bethlehem and see the thing that has come to pass that the Lord has made known to us. Think about this. The Lord made known to a bunch of dirty shepherds out in the middle of the field, sleeping in the field, that Jesus was there. He didn't go to kings. He didn't go to rulers. He didn't go. He went to the normal man and said, peace on earth. I have good intentions for you. He went to the everyday person and said, I have a son who is being born today and it's for you. Trust me, they all smelled like sheep. John, you know what it means to smell like a sheep. <laughs> Have John tell you his story about him putting a sheep in the back of his truck one time. He'll explain that to you. John, that was one of John's worst mistakes he ever made, wasn't it, John? It took a year. <laughs> all right. Verse 16, it says, They came with haste, and they found Mary. Haste. What does haste mean? Quickly. Make haste. They found Mary and Joseph and the babe lying in the manger. And when they had seen it, they made known abroad they, them, saying, which was told to them. Again, the sign again was told to them. They knew. And all they had heard, and they wondered of the things which were told to them by the shepherds. They wondered. Sorry, I'm looking up something real quick. Nope, I'm good. I got it. I think sometimes in our, in our world, we, we try to figure out all the answers. We try to know everything so we can know everything. And sometimes I think we have to just sit back and in silence and say, I'm okay without knowing that. The shepherds, they didn't say, oh, we have to know exactly what's happening. No, they sat back and they wondered about what was going on. 
they were like, we've seen the Son of God. I don't think it, if an angel comes to you and you're out in the middle of the field at night and a, an angel comes to you and then it says a multitude of the heavenly host. So a multitude is not just like four more. It's not like four dudes showing up to you in a field glowing. Yeah, we're, talk, we're talking a multitude. We're talking a lot of people of angels showing up and saying, peace on earth, goodwill towards men. And they've seen the Son of God wrapped like a little lamb in torn up cloth, and he's in a feed trough. And they sit, and they go away from that, or they sit and they look at the child and they go, oh my gosh, what, what was said to us? And then they go away and they're talking to each other. I wonder what it means about this. Because they, they were given a sign and a, and a very straightforward message, but they're like, you have to understand, they're not educated men. They've never been educated in the Torah. They've never been educated in the books of the Bible, the Old Testament before them. So they're wondering, they're saying, what is this? What is God doing? If God showed up to us, what is he doing? And I think sometimes in our life, we just have to be like, man, I don't know what God is doing, but I'm okay with just sitting and waiting for him to do what he's going to do. I'm not saying sit and wait when God tells you to move. I'm just saying sit back and wonder and just say, how amazing was this time that we just saw? What was happening? What is, what is going to happen? Because they don't know all the details. But after that, it says, but Mary kept all these things and pondered them in her heart. She was doing the same thing as them. The experience that she had with them coming to the stable and seeing the child, the experience they had, they were wondering about it, but she, was, she knew what was going to transpire with her son. And she said that she pondered them in her heart. She took time just to think about them and to not be focused on something else. She, you ever pondered something? You guys know what that means, right? Okay, good. It's, it's that time of just sitting and just reflecting on it, going, what is happening? Think about this. That's a lot to happen in a short period of time. Verse 20 says, And then the shepherds returned, glorifying and praising God for all the things they had heard and seen as it was told unto them. They recognized God when God showed up. They recognized heavenly messengers when heavenly messengers showed up, and they thanked God that they were able to see the child. Think about this. They saw the Savior of the world before anybody even knew he was the Savior of the world. They were given a unique experience to see the Son of God in infant form as the Lamb that was going to be sacrificed. And they praised God for it. I think sometimes we don't... There's a, there's a phrase that says, we only pr praise God when we get through the, the, what we're going through, but that it's an unbiblical way of thinking about it. The praise starts with this, and I, don't, I can't remember who said it, but it's not, I remember from years ago said, we spend more time praising God after he's done something 
instead of when he's doing something. We, we want, we, oh God, thank you, you did this for me. But what happens is we make our request known to him and we praise him before it shows up. That's an attitude of thankfulness. That's what the attitude of these shepherds were. They were thankful. They were praising God and glorifying him for all the things they had heard and seen. They still didn't quite understand it all. They knew what kind of the, the gist of it, but they didn't understand it all. But they were thankful. And they were grateful for what God had done for them. And if we look at our lives, we have to start to, to be more like the shepherds and be thankful and grateful, even though we don't understand what is happening in that moment. We don't understand the magnitude of it. We may not understand the, exactly what it is, but be thankful for what opportunity we had in that moment. They saw the Son of God, didn't quite understand all the details of, of what his future was going to be like, but they were grateful and thankful when he, the messengers of God showed up and said, this is what you have. They were the first people to hear that God had goodwill towards them. But it says that they went away and told everybody they, they could, what they had heard. Can you imagine some random dude running up to you? Okay, I saw some angels, a bunch of them out in the field, and God says that he has goodwill towards us, and there's peace on earth, and they're like, what have you been smoking? They're like, you need to get out of the field with the sheep and go back to doing something normal. But think about it. There, people were probably thinking they were crazy. Someone comes up to you and says, oh, yeah, I saw a bunch of angels out in the field. You're going to be like, you sure? You know, you 100% on that? Did you fall, hit your head? You know, like, what's going on? But these guys didn't care. They knew what they saw. They saw what they saw, they knew what they knew, and they told everybody about it. But the, the fact is, is that God showed up to these men, these shepherds out in the middle of nowhere, and said, I have goodwill towards you. I have good intentions for you. I love you enough to send you my son. That's an amazing thought. That he didn't show up to Herod, Pontius Pilate, and say to, or the, the emperor of the Roman, Caesar Augustus, and say, oh yeah, by the way, my son is coming. He came on a lowly, in a lowly place, on a lowly way, because he was raised up to be a sacrifice for us. And as we look at scripture, and as we read the story of his birth, and we read the, the prophecies of who he is, it only talks about him being a sacrifice. It only talks about him doing something for us. It doesn't talk about himself being glorified or him being raised up into a position of him being popular. It only talks about him being a servant. In some translations, and I can't remember where it is, in one of the stories about Mary, it talks about that she calls herself the servant of the Lord. And I, I'm sorry, I don't remember where it is, um, which translation or, or what book it is, but it calls her, she says, the servant of the Lord. 
the fact that she knew what was going on and she was willing to serve God in that, that capacity. And I think sometimes we are not willing to serve God in the smallest capacity when he asks us to do something. But she was, we're talking humans here. She was so willing, maybe afraid, maybe uncertain, maybe not, you know, 16-year-old girl not understanding what's going on. But it says she was a servant of God. 138, thank you. Let me get there real quick. So in verse 36, I'm going to start here. It says, Behold, the cousin of Elizabeth, Elizabeth, he hath also conceived a son in her old age. First of all, that's a miracle too. John the Baptist's mother was old. I'm going to read this to you. Trust me, the lifespan back then was like in the 50s, and you were old back then. So, I mean, like. And then it says, For in her old age, and in this sixth month with her, who was also called barren. And then verse 37, For with God nothing shall be impossible. And Mary said, Behold, I am the handmaid. Think about this. Servant handmaid. Handmaid was one of those person. If you look at like, you know, anybody watch Downton Abbey? Yeah. Anybody ever watch that? Okay. It's not that good. <laughs> but there was, there was, there's this one person, they always, their handmaid was with them everywhere they went. That servant was always with this one woman. And she was always like, what do you need? Oh, I need different shoes. She would wait on her and get different shoes. She would get different clothes. She would get different food, whatever you need. What do you need? What do you need? What do you need? And what he's saying there is Mary is waiting on the Lord. She is a servant. She is waiting on the Lord. She's saying, God, what do you want? That means she had a relationship with God before the angel showed up. So Mary is pregnant with Jesus, and it says, Mary arose in those days and went to the hill country with haste to the city of Judah and entered the house of Zechariah and saluted Elizabeth. And it came to pass that when Elizabeth heard the salutation of Mary, the babe leaped in her womb, and Elizabeth was filled with the Holy Ghost. Can you imagine that? You know, your cousin, you know, she's pregnant, you, probably didn't realize that she was carrying the, the, the Son of God. And you hear your cousin walk in and say, hey, Elizabeth, and then your child leaps in the womb. You're filled with the Holy Spirit. That's, a, that's quite a bit of, a, of movement in the Spirit right there. And Mary says this, and I love this part here. In verse 46, Luke 1, 46 says, And Mary said, My soul doth magnify the Lord. Mary had a relationship that was so close to God, and that's why he chose her. He didn't just choose some random girl out of nowhere that, you know, like, he chose her because she had that relationship. She chose him because she goes, My soul magnifies the Lord. 
what I love in this, it says, after Elizabeth was filled with the Holy Spirit, and she spoke in a loud voice and said, Blessed are you among women, and blessed is the fruit of your womb. Elizabeth, not knowing what was going on, before Mary walks into the room, gets filled with the Holy Spirit, and then she starts to prophesy towards Mary. So the spirit of prophecy is breaking out in the household when she walks into the tent or the house or whatever it is and says, you are blessed among women and blessed is your fruit. And then she says this. When, I hate this translation sometimes. I can't even read it. I'm like too many of these and those. Okay. I got it right here. All right, so she says, blessed are you among women. And then she goes, in verse 43, it says, why is this granted to me that the mother of my Lord should come to me? For behold, when the sound of your greeting came to my ears, the baby leaped for joy, and blessed is she who believed that there could be a fulfillment of what was spoken to her from the Lord. Think about this. She says, what privilege do I have to stand in the presence of the mother of the Lord, my Savior? She's, she's not saying, oh, your, your child's going to be, you know, it's like not one of those prophecies over some random kid's baby. Oh, your, your kid's going to grow up and they're going to be a world changer. She's like, no, you are blessed among women. You are blessed by your fruit. And she goes, I have the privilege now to stand in the presence of the mother of my Lord and Savior. So Elizabeth's getting this, 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 she's prophesying over Mary, but also she's getting revelation of who Mary is carrying because the Spirit of the Lord just came into her. And she's like, you're not just some random 16-year-old chick that's pregnant. You are carrying my Savior. And she acknowledged that and she spoke that. But can you imagine that, how silent she would have to remain in some points of her life because she knew what was happening because she knew how rejected Mary was going to be and how rejected Jesus was going to be. But her, she knew what her son was going to do, and she knew that when she was standing in the presence of God, that the Savior of the world was inside of Mary. And she said, I am honored by this moment. If you look back at all the times where God shows up to these people before Jesus is born, and, and, and that moment when Jesus is born, they take it as an honor. They got to see the, the, son of the, son of, um, the Son of God. They get to see the Savior of the world. They take it as an honor, and they go tell people about what they have to, what they've seen and what they have heard. And, and in our own lives, we have to say, it is an honor that God has called me to be one of his own. So many times we're like, ah, I have to go to church. No, we get to go to church. We use our busyness as an excuse to not go to church and God says I want you to be in church because it is it should be an honor to worship and praise me when we come together we get to to worship him together as a group of people saying we get surrender our lives to you we give our lives to you is because you are good and kind to us is why we are worshiping you we don't worship him out of fear 
He doesn't stand over us with a stick and say, worship me now. He does it because, or we do it because we, we find great joy in, in, in who he is. We have to have the hearts of the, those, those shepherds and Elizabeth and say, it is an honor to stand in the presence of God. It is an honor to stand in the presence of God's messengers who give us the word that he is here and he's bringing peace to us. He's given goodwill towards us. And in verse 46, it says this. Mary says, this is a song of praise from Mary. And I love this because it says this. She goes, my soul magnifies the Lord and my spirit rejoices in God, my Savior. She is singing a song to her own son who is going to save her. For he looked on the humble estate of this servant. For behold, from now on all generations will call me blessed. For he who is mighty has done great things for me and in his holy name and in his mercy is, excuse me, and his mercy is for those who fear him. From generation to generation, he has shown strength with his arm. He has scattered the proud in the thoughts of their hearts. He has brought down the mighty from their thrones. He exalted those from the humble estates. He has fulfilled, he has, excuse me, he has filled the hungry with good things and the rich he has sent away empty. He has helped his servant Israel in remembrance of his mercy as he spoke to our fathers, to Abraham and to his offspring forever. This is a woman singing a song who is pregnant to her God and her Savior who she is carrying. That's a weird situation right there. But she understands what she has been called to do. And she understands that her own son that she is going to give birth to is going to be the one to save her. The one that Israel has wanted, the deliverer that Israel has wanted, she's like, I am carrying him. And I understand that. There's a magnitude of that situation that she understood and she was able to, to deal with. And then it says, Mary remained with Elizabeth for about three months and then returned home. I'm pretty sure at that point is when, when she returned home is when they left for Bethlehem. Because Mary was pretty much probably showing, you know, she's in her last trimester and she's probably, you know, out to here and waddling and, and doing that stuff. And she lived with her cousin while she was waiting to go to Bethlehem and to get married. We've been given an opportunity, just like those shepherds, just like Mary, just like Elizabeth, to experience God. It may not be in the physical form where, where Jesus is standing before us or he's not in, the, in a manger laying there, but we have the ability to experience God and that comes through a relationship with him. And that relationship is only facilitated when we make that step forward. God is not going to force his relationship on us. That's why he said there's peace and goodwill towards men. He didn't say, oh, by the way, there's violence and I'm going to force you under my reign and rule. He said, I'm going to give you peace on earth and I have goodwill toward you. I have good thoughts. I have good intentions for you. And I think so many times we, we think if I give my life to Christ, I have to give up everything I want to do. And he's going to tell me everything that I have to do. But God's will does not supersede 
us unless we want it to. And that's the thing is we have to allow God's will to be the number one thing in our life. When we give our hearts to Christ, he's like, well, you can choose how much of me you want in your life, but it's also going to determine how you live your life. If you only want me on Sundays when it, or when you're having a, a rough patch and you need to go to church, then I will be there. But it's also going to determine what, how we're going to have that relationship. And so for us, it's like we have a choice. Am I going to follow God, serve God, and live for him? Or am I going to live for him when I need him to live for me, when I need him to do something for me? Or am I going to live for God and follow him and serve him because he has given us peace on earth, goodwill, has good intentions for me? That means our will has to go away, less of us and more of him. That our, our own choices have to be led by the Spirit, not us making our choices and going, God, why weren't you in this? Because and then he goes, well, you never invited me into this. The problem is, is too many people think that God is there to take over their lives and is not. We invite him into our lives. And he says, when you invite me into your life, allow me to have rule and reign and I will reign in your life. He's not a violent God. He's not a forceful God. He is a loving God that says, I just want a relationship with you. And when you come into a deeper relationship, then we surrender our will towards him. When our violent, sinful will gets out of the way, his peace on earth, good will towards men, his will starts to come in. And it becomes more and more prevalent. So when we are out, when we are living our lives, people see that God is peace on earth, goodwill towards men, that he is not a God that says, I'm just going to send them all to hell. He could have done that. There was 42 generations between Moses and, and when Jesus showed up. He could have done that on generation four if he wanted to wipe the earth clean. But he's not. He's a God that loves people. And like he said to, to Noah, I'm never going to flood the earth again because I made a covenant with you. But God says, if you allow me to be part of your life, I will be part of your life. But if you allow me to access your life and to be a consuming part of your life, then something will change. And it can't just be, a, I want you when I'm struggling. I want you when I don't know what to do. We want God when... As our human nature, we want God when that happens. And it can't be that way. It has to be, I need God in every area of my life. We, wait, we waste so much time in our lives fighting with God. And he's actually not fighting. He's just st standing there like, what you doing? We spend so much time in our own will and emotions, arguing with God about what we're not going to give him in our life. He's like, I've come to give you peace. But we can't, we, we argue with him too much that we're like, well, I don't have peace. It's because you, we keep arguing with him. We keep not surrendering ourselves to him and wondering why we don't have peace. Well, I, I can't do this and I can't do this and God doesn't help me. No, because we haven't surrendered. God's like, I'm not going to take over your life. I'm not going to control your life. I want to be given access to your life. And that, first of all, it comes with admitting that we need a savior. We need someone that knows more than us, is smarter than us, has more grace than us, has the ability to save us to be part of our life. 
And that, in our proud, hard-hearted, stiff-necked way, is the hardest thing to do. In our way, we're like, I don't need no God to tell me what to do. And I think in our culture, we've gotten so independent that we forget to rely on God. It's all about, I'm going to get what I need to get and what I want to get. And God's like, it's not about you. It's about what I've come to do. He chose us. He chose every one of you for his will to be shown on earth. That his kingdom come, his will be done on earth as it is in heaven. That's what he was telling those, those men in the field. He says that my kingdom will come, my will will be done on earth as it is in heaven. God doesn't send messengers from earth to heaven and say, this is how it's going to be. He sends his heavenly messengers to earth and says, this is how it needs to be and this is how it's going to be. But we have to get our wills out of it. Mary was a handmaid, it says, a, a servant of the Lord. And God used her. God can use every one of us. It may not look like the whole Mary situation, but God can use every one of you. The, the, the places that you work, the places that you live, the neighbors that you have, they need Jesus. And if they have Jesus, they need to understand a good God, a God that loves them. And that's why our, our culture has gotten so out of control. They believe God is angry, and it's like, We've not preached the good news to them. What was the good news? It was spoke to the shepherds in the, that God is not angry. He has goodwill and emotions and thoughts towards us. But our culture has turned from God because they think he's angry because we've had too many people preaching that God is an angry God and that he's, he wants judgment on us. But God spoke. In no uncertain terms to those shepherds said, I have good intentions for you. That there will be peace on earth as there is in heaven. That there will be peace in your life as there is in heaven. And for us, our job is to do what those shepherds did. To spread what they have heard and seen. That we have seen the goodness of God and he is good, and he is kind, and he wants a relationship with you. That is our job, is to be those shepherds. What did Jesus say? Go out and make disciples of all men and all nations. What do shepherds do? They gather. And what was Jesus telling his disciples? Gather. Make disciples of people. Teach them how to live in my rule in my reign, how to live in my kingdom. Because God is a just God. He is not looking to punish us. He's just looking for our relationship with us. As we grow in our relationship with God, we start to hear him more clear. And he says, nope, time to stop. Time to go, time to leave, time to start. Time to do this. And as we learn to grow in him, as we submit ourselves to him, we are going to start to hear him on a level that we don't even under couldn't understand a year ago but we start to hear God and he says it's time for you to do this and we will start to recognize the voice of God like Mary understood the voice of God and said it is an honor to be a handmaid to God it is an honor to be a servant for God God is not looking 
for kings and queens. He's looking for shepherds. He's looking for the common person to be part of his kingdom. He's looking for the common person that needs, knows they need a savior and is willing to say, I need a savior. I've blown it in my own life. And say, I need Jesus. So as you go out this next week, as Christmas, when those parties, remember what God said, that there's peace on earth, goodwill towards men. But take time to, to think about who he is you know, I know you're going to get that weird cheese dip and it's going to be like, you know, you're going to get all that food and all the weird stuff. And it's like the weird uncle brought the weird food and I don't know if it's safe to eat. But between the time you get there and the time you leave, take the time to remember and to honor why we are there. It's not for the cheesy dip and the weird ball that's got stuff on top of it and you have to, you know, it's not that. It is Jesus, the Prince of Peace, who one who brings us salvation Take, take that time, whether it's reading Luke 2, whether it's just having that conversation and saying, hey, man, God's been good to us, and it's been a good year. It's good to see family. He's been good to our family, whether you know your family likes God or not. But be that shepherd. Be the one to say, man, I don't know what we just saw or what we've just experienced, but it is good, and I need to know I need to know that other people are going to hear about this. Let's pray.